So if you turn to Luke 22, we're going to start in uh, verse 25. And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger. Amen. And he that is chief, as he that does serve. Because they were uh, a little earlier here, were discussing who was going to be yeah. chief among them. So he uh, answered them with this. Verse 27. And whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations, and I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So that little introduction uh, gets us to the place and uh, the subject of the table. Um, I've thought of this often with uh, communion or Passover time. And uh, there's a lot to be said just of uh, our personal tables, uh, physical tables, and then the metaphorical uh, spiritual tables of the Lord. And a lot of good parallels could be drawn, Amen. a lot of good lessons out of them. But, uh, of course, growing up, you know, we uh, we all ate our meals together. Hallelujah. We called it supper. I know some may call it dinner or something, but we had breakfast, lunch, supper, or maybe breakfast, dinner, supper. Yes, yes. So that's the right way. Amen. But uh, anyway, you know, the setting there is your father's at the head. The children had their place and. Mother might be next to him or at the other head of the table, end of the table. And, uh, you know, you, you commune there. You, you talk there. You might have had a request. You wanted to ask your dad something. Maybe you're a little nervous about asking him, afraid you'd be denied. So you, uh, you know, you think, well, I'll wait till supper time. You know, it's, it's a good time. You're all there to, to commune together and to visit. And uh, you can make your requests known. and You might get a little little favor that way. Yeah. So there were, you know, good times, good memories around around the table. And of course, uh, just like into the spiritual realm, you come with clean hands. Mm -hmm. You come with a clean shirt. You know, there's, there's a lot of times we sat down. And, hey, you know, go go change that shirt. <clears throat> we could get by with a little bit, but uh, if it was a little too disgusting, no. Get, get back there and change and everybody had to wait on you of course but um, when we liken it to the to the spiritual table there, there's a lot to be said a lot to learn from it and with this idea of uh, of communing you know I think we all get the general idea that it's uh, it's a time of, of fellowship maybe a intimate time commune but it also um, some of the commentaries and some of the dictionaries I looked it up in, uh, commune means literally to speak or to say or talk. Uh, and the promises in there and pronouncements. And uh, so there's a lot more to the, just the word communion than what we may think. And um, so if we envelop that all within the context of 
Passover and uh, the Lord's table. Uh, there's much more there than we might uh, initially uh, initially see. So uh, let's go back to uh, let's go to First Samuel chapter nineteen. And we're going to start at uh, verse 1. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now, therefore, I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning and abide in a secret place and hide thyself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where thou art. And I will commune with my father of thee and what I see that I will tell thee. So there we see Jonathan using to the best of his advantage that time with his father. And, and he was awarded some grace right then as well. So... Uh, Jonathan, of course, was doing all he could to, to save David. And uh, that just, that really stuck out to me anyway, that he communed with his father. I know I've read it many times, but, uh, you know, sometimes you'll have something else in mind and something jumps out to you. And uh, you think, well, that, that fits with another thought I've, I've had in the past. And um, so I thought that was noteworthy. To, uh, to add that. But, uh, you know, at home, <clears throat> I was always taken back by, uh, as Pastor said, we had six boys and a girl. And uh, you know, we live out in the country and didn't have too many visitors. But um, once in a while, some young men, teenagers would come over. And of course, in the way my wife was brought up and myself, um, hey, we it's supper time, well, they're going to sit down with us and eat, or at least be offered. And of course, those young men never turned that down. <laughs> and, uh, but what really impressed me later on, maybe I'd run into one of them. They're in their 30s or so, and uh, one of the first things out of their mouth is they remember that time at the table. That's one of the first things they mentioned. And I was really surprised at that at first. <laughs> You know, until I thought of it later, and uh, but but most of them, and and they had good families, but you know they're the modern run around everywhere, and uh, they just didn't sit down and, and eat. I didn't really realize that until that time, and my wife reminded me of that, saying, "Well, that's they weren't accustomed to this yeah. this lifestyle," right. and uh, but for those young men to say it, it, it was. Uh, it really left an impression on me yeah. and uh, illustrates some importance of that time together yeah. as a family that uh, is is getting lost in Amen. in this country Amen. thankfully it's here and very strong Amen. but now to the lord's table when that's mentioned in the hebrew it's uh we're 7979 and 
the Hebrew word is shulchan. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. But it, it denotes uh, at times a king's table or a, a table of private use or sacred uses. And in the Greek, uh, it's word 5132, and it's trapidza, the emphasis on the first syllable there. And that's a table at the temple in Jerusalem on which the consecrated loaves were placed. And, uh, you know, some of the commentaries would say that uh, it was usually placed in a church building or temple at the eastern side. Now, I don't know if this was by design or not, but... You know, here it is on the east, yeah. eastern side of the building. Yeah. And I thought of that right away when, uh, when I read that. And uh, there's, there's other commentaries, too. They speak of uh, the three tables in the Gospel of Luke, uh, the feeding of 5,000. They refer to that as a table. And uh, other, uh, other translations, uh, not biblical translations, rather uh, commentaries, uh, they would speak of the term altar sometimes as a table. So sometimes a platform or an altar would be uh, referenced as a table because it's a flat surface. And uh, there's significance to that. And then the the second reference in in Luke is chapter 22 at the Last Supper. Mm -hmm. And then then again in uh, chapter 24, uh, the post-resurrection meal or supper. And uh, there was quite a bit to be said on it. It's, it's pretty vague, so uh, I didn't want to dig into that too much because this was really just a, a preface to get to the, the main subject. And, but I would like to read before we get off of the, the table here uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And this distinction between Lord's table and devil's table. Mm-hmm. So we're in uh, chapter 10. And we'll start in 20. <clears throat> but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they fa- sacrifice to devils and not to God. Amen. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. Ye cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. So here, too, they introduce that cup, uh, which brings to mind the the communion or what we call the communion or sacraments. And, um, you know, this idea of a shared cup, too, uh, which I I like the idea of it. And I think the last couple of years... We came up, you know, we were asked, you want the individual cups or the chalice? And uh, right. we just would say, well, just whatever is available, that's what we'll go to, sure. you know. And uh, but I remember even as a child, uh, boys doing something or playing ball. If somebody had some water, it was usually in a jar or something. Yeah. Uh, you know, we'd all just take a drink off of it. We didn't think one thing about no. Uh, germs or anything. I didn't think the thing about it. And uh, uh, of course, that was before some some of these things going around, you know, this coincidence of uh, 
these mutated viruses, right? But also in Corinth, I'm sure you all know that there was this mixture of these pagan beliefs. There was, uh, you know, a little history on Corinth as well. Was um, it was, uh, of course, a, a Greek city for a long time until it uh, was conquered by the Romans around 146 BC. Then it was rebuilt in 44 BC uh, by Julius Caesar. So by this time, you know, a lot had changed in it. It was a big thriving city, of course, and they had a lot of uh, a variety of uh, religions and practices. And here they're trying to keep this straight and, and Paul building this church here. Uh, he had a lot to contend with, as we, as we do today as well. <clears throat> but uh, it's hard to imagine maybe what what would come at him and what he would have to mm -hmm. sift through and the subjects he would have to choose in these epistles. Sure. I'm sure he had hundreds of them, and mm -hmm. you know he's had to focus on the big things and and hammer those points home and try to <laughs> try to keep them straight and try to. Keep it going. It had to be a, a very tough job, but uh, you know we're riding on that diligence today that they had, and that should help inspire us to continue on as well. So I said all that about the table, <clears throat> just to get to the main point of the message, which I did title "Dead Dog at the Table." And yes, Jamie, it, it's a real, real biblical title. It's not a not a lesson in uh, Eastern cuisine or anything. So uh, <laughs> I saw you smiling over there. But if you turn to Second um, Samuel nine, we'll go back there and start this next subject. And we'll pick up in verse 1. And David said, Is there yet any left that is left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Because, of course, they made that covenant earlier. And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? He said, Thy servant is he. And the king said, Is there yet any of the house of Saul, that I may show the kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said unto, unto the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machar, the son of Amamel, Amamel in Lodibar. Then King David sent and fetched him out of the house of Machar, the son of Amiel, from Lodibar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was come unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, 
for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. And thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself and said, What is thy servant that thou shouldest look upon such a dead dog as I am? So I broke down a few thoughts in those eight verses. And we find out that Mephibosheth is, is lame, doesn't tell the details here. Um, you might wonder why, why is he in Lodabar? Here he is, uh, Saul's grandson, with an inheritance coming to him. But of course, they were him and his father, Jonathan, were killed at the same battle. Uh, Philistines killed him. And when Mephibosheth was just five years old. So it <clears throat> doesn't say how he, he, he got to this, uh, to this place of Lodibar. But it's a, it's a curious name. Mm -hmm. And what it really means, it's, it's broken down into two parts, Lodibar. And Debar actually means the word or uh, something lacking, maybe. There's, there's several different definitions, but or some say nothing, nothingness or uh, place. Well, with the prefix lo, meaning no. So lo Debar meaning no place or a desolate place. It's a very poor area. And here he is, yeah, nowhere's land. And uh, I think some actually use that term and from what I gather I believe he he was there at least 15 years and apparently with a lot of uh, patience you know there's no record of him reminding anybody that uh, he was in line for inheritance or anything or if he even knew about his father Jonathan's covenant with David uh, I don't I don't know if he knew that or not, but he certainly uh, didn't make a show of himself. Right. And but it also could be because he feared for his life. Doesn't really say all we can do is speculate. But of course, David says to him right away, fear not, Amen. which which implies that he he must have had some fear. He might have thought, well, he's getting called to the king so he can get killed off. Yeah. And besides that, uh, you know, by this time he's older and he understands how things work. And, you know, maybe a reason he would would fear also was, uh, you know, besides the fact that uh, kings would routinely kill potential heirs to the throne. Uh, he had an uncle named Ishbosheth that was a usurper of the throne. Um, you know, Abner put him there as soon as the, uh, sometime after the, the King Saul was killed. And uh, there was quite a bit of contention there. And David really acted honorably. There's great lessons in how David acted, you know, of course, concerning Saul all those years, but then later even to these other, these other men that were really a, a big threat to him. 
and in, including one of his own sons, of course. So let's, uh, yeah, let's pick up on that. Uh, let's go to chapter 4 of 2 Samuel. And let's just read this, this chapter. And when Saul's son heard that Abner was dead in Hebron, his hands were feeble and all the Israelites were troubled. And Saul's son had two men that were captains of bands, the name of the one, Baanah, and the name of the other, Rechab, the sons of Reman, the Berothite, and the children of, ben of the children of Benjamin, also was reckoned to Benjamin. And the Berothites fled to Gideon and were sojourners there until this day. And Jonathan, Jonathan Saul's son, had a son that was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came to, of Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass as she made haste that he fell and became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. And the sons of Remon and Berothite, Rechab and Baanah, went and came upon about the heat of the day to the house of Ishbosheth, who lay on a bed at noon. Now this is already after he was placed by Abner as king of uh, Israel, the northern kingdom, of course, or the northern house, and uh, by this time David's king of Judah. But he lay on a bed at noon, verse six, and they came thither into the midst of the house as though they would have fetched wheat, and they smote him under the fifth rib. And Rechab and Baanah, his brother, escaped. For when they came into the house, he lay on his bed in his bedchamber, and they smote him and slew him and beheaded him, and took his head and gat them away through the plain all night. And they brought the head of Ishbosheth unto David to Hebron and said to the king, Behold, the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, thy enemy, which sought thy life, and the Lord hath avenged my lord the king this day of Saul and of his seed. And listen to David's answer. And David answered Rechab and Baanah, his brother, the sons of Remon, the Berethite, and said unto them, As the Lord liveth, who hath redeemed my soul out of all adversity? When one told me, saying, Behold, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good tidings, I took hold of him and slew him at Ziglag, who thought that it would be given him a reward for his tidings. So obviously these two men thought the same thing. How much more when wicked men have slain a righteous per person in his own house upon his bed, shall I not therefore now require his blood of your hand and take away you from the earth? And David commanded his young men and they slew them and cut off their hands and feet and hang them up over the pool of Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the sepulcher of Abner in Hebron. So it's, it's a bit of a surprising uh, move and turn of events, you know, here uh, this Ishbosheth is set up as king in Israel. And even though David knew well, he was anointed king over 
all the tribes. And uh, he still showed a lot of grace and mercy through all this. And of course, as a type of Christ, we can draw these parallels with David and Mephibosheth. But an interesting side note is uh, the name Ishbosheth. That name means a man of shame. And so I guess because of his actions and allowing Abner to set him up, which of course would be a natural uh, progression of things. He was a king's son. And uh, of course you had, had plenty of competition. Everybody wanting a piece of the, uh, the throne and the, the palace there, uh, they would move a little hasty sometimes to their own detriment. But to contrast uh, Ishbosheth, meaning a man of shame, the name Mephibosheth, the nephew, his name means dispeller of shame. And so, you know, on the surface, you think, well, the dispeller of shame, you know, the, he was lame in both feet since he's five years old, lives in this run-down place called Lodabar. Uh, you know, how is this dispeller of shame going to come to fruition? But of course, uh, it ultimately does. So in the meantime, with all this going on, if we would uh, turn up to chapter 15 of 2 Samuel still, Uh, this event is recalled here of the revolt of Absalom going against David. You know, so David, under all this great pressure, still maintaining this integrity. Yeah. It's really remarkable. You know, it really is. If we think of this in, in human terms, you know, with real threats and emotion and all this added in, uh, the, the behavior is really really remarkable and generally you know we'll focus on David's behavior towards Saul but this just keeps continuing on through uh, Ishbosheth and of course how he dealt with uh, Absalom as well so we'll start verse 1 chapter 15 and it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared his chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is of one of the tribes of Israel. Now this goes on for quite a while. And uh, I think he, he, and he was doing this to steal men's hearts. And I believe he did this for 10 years until he got enough uh, enough support that he thought he could really uh, take over the throne. So let's jump to uh, verse 30. And David went up by the ascent of Mount Olivet. Okay, so yeah, this is David. Uh, this is after Absalom uh, made the revolt. Uh, David's in a bad spot here. And so verse 30, and David went up 
by the ascent of Mount Olivet and wept as he went and had his head covered and went and he went barefoot and all the people that was with him covered every man his head and they went up weeping as they went. And one told David saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And it came to pass that when David was come to the top of the mount where he worshiped God, behold, Hushiah the archite came to meet him with his coat rent and earth upon his head. Unto him, unto whom David said, If thou passest on with me, then thou shalt be a burden unto me. But if thou return to the city and say unto Absalom, I will be thy servant, O king, as I have been thy father's servant hitherto, so will I now be also be thy servant. Then mayest thou for me defend the counsel of Ahithophel. And hast thou not there with thee Zadok and Abiathar the priests? Therefore it shall be that what thing soever thou shalt hear out of the king's house, thou shalt tell it to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Behold, they have there with them their two sons. And it names them. I'm, <laughs> I'm stumbling over those. And by them ye shall send unto me everything that ye can hear. And Hushiah, David's friend, came into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. And continuing on, when David was a little past the top of the hill, behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of asses saddled, and upon them two hundred loaves of bread, and a hundred bunches of raisins, and a hundred of summer fruits, and a bottle of wine. Because by this time, uh, Ziba was Mephibosheth's servant. Because uh, David granted him uh, Saul's land, well, he granted Mephibosheth Saul's land that was to be his inheritance. And this Ziba, I think he had 15 uh, other servants with him. Uh, they served Mephibosheth. So he had all this abundance. And here he brings it to the king along with donkeys and everything. At verse 2, And the king said unto Ziba, What meanest thou by these? And Ziba said, The asses be for the king's household to ride on, and the bread and summer fruit for the young men to eat, and the wine that such as be faint in the wilderness may drink. And the king said, And where is thy master's son? And meaning Mephibosheth. And Ziba said unto the king, Behold, he abideth at Jerusalem. For he said, Today shall the house of Israel restore me the kingdom of my father. So Ziba's telling King David that, yeah, that Mephibosheth, he's back there thinking, you know, you're going to be gone. He's going to take over the kingdom. Then Ziba lied to him. Uh, verse 4, Then said the king to Ziba, Behold, thine are all that pertaineth unto Mephibosheth. And Ziba said, I humbly beseech thee that I may find grace in thy sight, my lord, O king. So, you know, David's saying, hey, well, why aren't you back there serving him then? If he's going to be the king. And, of course, Ziba's putting on this act that, well, I'm, I'm here to serve you. 
in verse 5, And when King David came to Behurim, behold, thence came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. He came forth and cursed still as he came. So this is the man that was throwing rocks at David and cursing him. And, you know, of course, uh, David let it go. And, you know, again, showing this great restraint. He, he reckoned that, well, this, this is from the Lord. He showed this restraint and let him continue to do so. And just kind of just went ahead and walked through it and, and let the man alone. So this contrast between, and you have all these characters here with, with Zeba doing this uh, deceitful move, uh, trying to uh, push Bephibosheth out of the way and slandering him to the king. Uh, you know, this, this put Mephibosheth in a big spot. And of course, it appeared as though it, it was that way. Uh, which is a good lesson for, for us. You hear something and uh, don't jump on somebody's cause too fast before you, you hear all the facts and uh, uh, get yourself in a, in a mess and do something uh, evil to some innocent person. So, yeah, so we stopped here at, at Shimei. We won't take time to really go through all that. I'm sure you all know the story. And David ended up letting him go. And I believe that picks back up in uh, 19. Uh, yeah, chapter 19. And we'll go to uh, verse 16 for sake of time and pick up after all that. Those events happened that Shimei came came back to David and Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, which was of Behurim, hasted and came down with the men of Judah to meet King David, which took guts. And there was a thousand men of Benjamin with him and Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul and his 15 sons and his 20 servants with him. And they went over Jordan before the king. So, yeah, that answers uh, what I was stumbling on before, uh, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants and was still greedy enough to try to get more of it and worse yet by deception and slander. Verse 18, and there went over a ferry boat to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought good. And Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king as he was come over Jordan. And said unto the king, Let not my lord impute iniquity upon me, neither do thou remember that which thy servant did perversely the day that the lord the, the king went out of Jerusalem, that the king should take it to his heart. For thy servant doth, not, doth now know that I have sinned. Therefore, behold, I am come this first day of all the house of Joseph to go down to meet my lord the king. And Abishai, the son of Zeruah, answered and said, Shall not Shimei be put to death for this, because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And David said, What have I to do with you, ye sons of Zeruah, that ye should this day be adversaries unto me? 
Shall there any man be put to death this day in Israel? For do not I know that I am this day king over Israel? Therefore the king said to Shimei, Thou shalt not die, and the king swear unto him. Again, showing this great mercy and pardon and grace likened unto Christ. And Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king and had neither dressed his feet nor trimmed his beard nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came again in peace. Which on the surface, that kind of looks disrespectful. You know, in, in, our, in our culture, that's a sign of disrespect. You know, we, we try to clean up before meeting a king. But uh, in this case, in this culture, it was actually showing, showing a sign of, of uh, concern. And this, this showed that he was mourning over David and staying in that condition until King David returned. So it's quite the opposite of what we might think in our society. And then, and of course you can't hide that either. You know, you can hide it when you go clean up. You can be dirty as a dog the day before, clean up and you look presentable. So after this period of time, Mephibosheth's all grown out and everything. And hey, that, that proves he was in that state of mourning for a long time. And so obviously David had to recognize that, but he still has to deal with this, this slander that was against him, that was against Mephibosheth by uh, Ziba. In verse 25, and it came to pass when he was come to Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said unto him, wherefore wentest not thou with me, Mephibosheth? Because he was, he, King David was expecting him to come along. And he answered, Mephibosheth answered, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me, meaning mm -hmm. Ziba, his servant. Yeah. For thy servant said, I will saddle me an ass and I, that I may ride thereon and go to the king because thy servant is lame. And he hath slandered my servant unto the lord the king, but my lord the king is as an angel of God. Do therefore what is good in thine eyes. So. Yeah. He, he just told the truth and then he quit making his case. You know, he, he just said, you, you judge it. You know, this is what happened. And uh, he didn't turn back around and slander Ziba. In verse 28, for all of my father's house were but dead men before my Lord, the king. Yet didst thou set thy servant among them that did eat at thy own table. What right, therefore, have I yet to cry any more unto the king? <laughs> A remarkable humility. Amen. And the king said unto him, Why speakest thou any more of thy matters? I have said, Thou and Ziba divide the land. So I, I suppose David believed him right away. He, he could see what happened there. And uh, it's like, Nothing else to be said, it's good. And you and Ziba divide the land. Then Mephibosheth in verse 30 said unto the king, yea, let him take all. For as much as my Lord the king is come again in peace unto his own house. So he illustrated there, hey, I, I just want you to be king and I love you as my king and 
let him have the land. I don't care. And I don't believe there's any record of really what took place after that concerning him. But uh, uh, the symbolism there of Christ's forgiveness and illustrated here with David and all this uh, remarkable uh, grace he showed, especially under very stressful circumstances that I couldn't even imagine here as we still live in relative comfort. And of course, we're a people who sees the direction this country's going. We don't like it and we want to try to do something about it while we can before it gets in, in these dire uh, circumstances. But what a lesson for us to exhibit these characteristics and strive to uh, on both sides of, the, of this, uh, this story, especially between Mephibosheth and his interactions with some of those that deceived him and, and with David as well. And that caused me to think of uh, a passage in James. So we'll turn to James chapter four. And we'll end with this. Chapter four, and we'll start in verse one. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust that war in your members? So, you know, just like Zeba lusting over this inheritance where, and he had it made anyway, you know, he's, and here's Mephibosheth living in this desert land for how long? And uh, no record of him whining about it. Verse two, ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain, ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Heavenly Father, we just pray, Lord, that you would help us to have the heart of Mephibosheth yes, and of King David, Lord, who, who acted, Lord, with an exemplary character, Father, Amen. so many times, Lord. Let us glean from this, Father. Let us continue to grow in your grace and knowledge, Lord, to the glory of your kingdom, to, to your honor, Father. In everything we do, Lord, in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.